Tom, would you come and pray for our offering? Sure. Thank you, Mike. Heavenly Father, thank you for your music and your church and your your Father and your Son and your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tom. Dan, you can do it next week, okay?
Amen. Well, I want to stay on the theme of prayer today, and uh, we're going to be getting into the Lord's Prayer. Everything we've spoken over the past four or five weeks have been leading up to this day and leading up to this message and probably next, next week's message because I'm not going to get it all done today. I know that. But we've been speaking about prayer for the past number of weeks for the purpose of trying to understand what it is for men to pray to God. And it is a very simple thing when we define it as simply communicating with God. But yet, for some reason, somehow it's gotten complicated. And that some reason and that somehow is a thing called sin. When sin got in and broke that perfect relationship between Adam and Eve that day so many years ago, all of a sudden everything became strained between man and God. Not just strained, actually destroyed. That day they died. Physically they lived for a number of years afterwards, but their spirit man died. And it wasn't until Jesus Christ came that we have a revelation now, revelation knowledge of who God truly is again through Jesus. And we can have that relationship again. So I want to take just a minute and review where we've been to get to know to where we're going. First week, we prayed about prayer uh, through the eyes of Martin Luther. And, that was, and, he's, and he defined it simplest terms as just man communicating with God. And uh, as God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, how perfect their relationship was and how relevant it was to their life. And likewise for us, as we begin to understand the relevance of prayer, prayer becomes very important in our daily lives. It was broken by sin, only to be restored by the blood of Christ. And ever since then, that relationship of perfect prayer has been a struggle for us. Quite honestly, it is a struggle. But as Martin Luther prayed and as we read through his sermon, we understood a little bit more about how we, well, how we receive God's answers to prayer the way God sees it best for us. So I would encourage you to go back and re-listen to that sermon if you'd like to. Week two, we talked about the relationship side of prayer. And we titled it all about relationship. And, and that was when we talked about Jesus teaching or being asked by the disciples how to pray. And it was very important to the disciples because they, they obviously saw something different in the life of Christ that made him different than any other man they had known before. I mean, they were willing to drop everything and follow him. That's pretty amazing. Would you drop your job? Would you drop your career? Would you drop even maybe your family to follow a man? Something was special about Jesus. And as they, as they spent time with him, I think they realized it was prayer. So they asked him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And then we talked about how Jesus must have prayed. We thought we, I, I think clearly we can appreciate the fact that Jesus had to develop a relationship with his father as a man develops a relationship with his father. Um, otherwise, if we look at Jesus as only being a God, then I can't relate to him. I can't relate to God because I'm not a God. I'm a man. So I relate to another man. That's why Jesus came down to take on the form of man. And while he was walking this earth, he was fully man. Therefore, when he, when he developed that relationship with God, it took a special effort on his part. They called prayer. Intentional, diligent prayer. And how important that they talked and maintained relationship. And then the third week we talked about how important it is that we protect that relationship. How often, how quickly things get into our lives that can distract us from praying. That can be the hindrance of our prayer life. And our living can be so 
um, encompassing and overwhelming that maybe we forget about prayer. We develop our relationship when we first get saved. We're excited about it. And things are grand and things are good, but then when life goes on, the, the, the issues of life can overtake us. And before long, we're just taking God for granted. Just like we take breathing air for granted. Just like we take flipping on a light switch and electricity comes on, we take it for granted. But, you know, Lord, protect us. Help us in that area that we protect that sanctity of prayer. And then week four, we talked about the persistence, how important it is that we pray on a regular basis, that we pray daily, that it's not just a once-a-week prayer or not just even once per meal prayer. It is a daily persistent prayer life and how important it is that we develop that and that how many times that we have um, to overcome the urgencies and the mundaneness of life in many occasions just to stay praying. And then last week we talked about when you pray, talked about getting into the prayer closet and developing a intense, personal, passionate, fervent prayer in a secret prayer closet. And when we do that, how that impacts our life and how that changes us and how that gives us the ability to put on this thing called a prayer filter. That when I leave my prayer closet, because eventually I have to leave my prayer closet and go to work, but when I do, I have my mind saturated in prayer so that everything filters through my mind in that filter. Do I, do I um, dwell on that thought? Does it glorify God? Does it increase my level of intensity? Does it increase my hunger for God? If it does, then I, then I dwell on it and I, I meditate on it and I feed that. Or does that thought break, take me away from God? Is it one of those thoughts that I need to take captive and destroy it and not allow it to have a root in my life? And so that filter of prayer comes only through a good closet prayer time when I can get before the Lord and I can saturate myself with His presence and I take it with me through the day. So I would ask you this morning, are you putting into practice what we're learning? Are these messages meaningful to you? Do you take the word from the week and then meditate on it throughout the week? I, I hope so. And it's not, because, it's, not, it's not because of the preacher, it's because of the word. And I don't care if it was me or any other man preaching up here, if he's, if he's anointed by God, then listen to the word and put it into practice. And make it a part of your weekly life. That's the prayer. That's the thing that's going to change us. So I would encourage you to go back. If you, if you didn't listen to those messages or if you want to go listen to them again, go onto our website. They're right there. Listen to them. Saturate yourself with the Word of God and, uh, and let the Lord then move in your heart. So today, we're going to begin to look at the Lord's Prayer as Jesus answered the question that His disciples asked them in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 11 one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. So let's talk about that. First of all, who asked the question? Let's talk about who asked the question. It says one of his disciples asked the question. The reason that this is important is because the man that asked the question had a relationship with Jesus. And therefore, Jesus then could teach that man how to pray differently than a man that didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Very important for us to apply that in our life today. Because the Lord's Prayer, even though as said so many times, so many ways, in so many different venues, in so many different places, all honestly... 
unless you have a relationship with Jesus, you really can't pray the prayer because it starts out saying, Our Father, which art in heaven. The only people that can really call him Father are those that have a relationship with him. There's other prayers that people that don't have a relationship with God can pray, but those are prayers of forgiveness and repentance. If we really take God's word for what it means, God cannot hear the prayer of a sinner unless they are praying for forgiveness. Now, I know that sounds hard to hear, but God's not going to bless a sinner like he's going to bless a follower of Christ. Because until we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord, even though he loves us, we are enemies of God. And that's what the Bible says. So it's important to recognize that it was a disciple of Jesus, a one that had a relationship with him was the one that was asking him, Lord, teach us how to pray the way you pray. Teach us, give us that authority, give us that relationship. The way you have that relationship with your father, that's what we want. So how do we pray? How do we get that? How do we get that? Let's open your Bible. This is King James Version, so you may not have it. But it's on the screen. Matthew chapter 6. In fact, would you stand with me? And would you pray this with me together out loud? Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Father, I just pray now that you would bring this prayer alive in our hearts and lives today that we would truly see it maybe the way that you would have us to see it. And I'm sure we've talked about this and had many other sermons about um, the Lord's Prayer. I pray for revelation knowledge. I pray for inspiration, Lord, that would change us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I can only imagine that when Jesus walked with his disciples that there was a lot of conversation that was going on between Jesus and his disciples that are not recorded in the Gospels or not recorded anywhere in the Bible. They must have had a lot of conversations that were off the record, so to speak, <laughs> because the Gospels and anything in writing, as you know, can only capture so much. So I'm, I'm trying to understand here, um, as they continued on, after Jesus told them this, what was their conversations like after that? What did Jesus say to these men after that to explain this prayer a little bit more in depth? And I'm going to try to do my best to pick it up. Now, I'm not Jesus, and so don't, I, I'm not trying to tell you that I'm, you know, but I'm just, from my perspective, what was Jesus really trying to say to these men and talking, teaching them about prayer? Well, when you take a look at this prayer passage, it's broken down into segments. It's broken down into, I have seven basic segments here, all right? 
Number one, it's addressing God's position in praise and worship. Okay, addressing God's position in praise and worship. Number two, it's acknowledging that God is in control and he is sovereign. Number three, it's request for life's provisions on a daily basis. Number four, it's a request for forgiveness from God and also a statement of our need to forgive men. Number five, it's a request for help from our own fleshly temptations. Number six, it's a request for deliverance and protection from the devil. And then number seven, it's ending in more praise of God's eternal power and glory. Now, we're going to go through all the seven of these, and we're not going to get through them all today, but I want to take the time to go through these and try to pick up a little bit more detail on them. Let's look at the first one, addressing God's position through praise and worship. It says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father. Now, we just already talked about that the way that we can even call him our Father is if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ first matter of importance that I must recognize him and I must have a relationship with Jesus so that I can be a joint heir with Christ and that I can call God my father just as Jesus called God his father so to be able to do that indicates that there is an intimate relationship which has been repaired since the fall in the garden broke it Colossians chapter 1 beginning verse 21 through 23 it says once You were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So we were at one time enemies of the cross until we were reconciled through the blood of Christ. Then after that reconciliation, now God forgives us and he removes our sins, not just covers them over, but he removes them and he will never bring them up to you again. You will never have to deal with your guilt again as long as you hold true to the faith As long as you hold true to the established, firm hope of the gospel that Paul is preaching about, as long as I maintain my relationship with Jesus, I will never deal with that guilt again. But as long as I stay in the hope of the gospel, my sins are gone. I am a new man, a new creation. Jesus looks at me as a man forgiven by his blood, and I can look up to heaven with boldness into the throne room of heaven and say, My Father, my Father, What a powerful thing that is. To say that I can look up to the the creator of all things and call him my dad. And he looks down and calls me my son. (laughs) My son. What a powerful thing. What a powerful thing to recognize that. We we gloss over that so so fast, so often. But man, when I can recognize God's position and my position in authority with him, through Jesus Christ, man. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. 
And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, intimate form of Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And I have the right to call him my Father, just like Jesus did. Just like Jesus, our Father. Romans 8, 17. Now, if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Man, that's powerful. That's our position with God. God is in heaven. Our heavenly Father is in heaven, and he is our Father. Now, let's talk about heaven for a minute. What is heaven? Heaven can actually be defined wherever God is. It's like wherever the President of the United States is, if he's on a jet, he's on Air Force One. If he's on the Marine helicopter, he's on Marine One. <laughs> wherever he's at declares the position that he's in. Wherever God at, God's at declares where heaven is. And there's coming a day when heaven is going to come back to earth and that he is going to bring a new heavens and a new earth about where he is going to come out of the spiritual realm and come down into the truly physical realm of earth, his creation, and he will dwell here. Revelations chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. This is John the Revelator speaking. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne room saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. New heavens, new earth, a new Jerusalem, He's going to settle down on this earth and God is going to come down physically here and this is going to be heaven. A few years out, but it's going to happen. Amen. Amen. But yet today God is in heaven and I have a relationship with him and he is worthy to be praised as he lovingly watches over us, his children, and he's aware of every detail in your life. There's not a detail in your life that God's not aware of. That's the beautiful part about it. He's in heaven, but he's my father, and he loves me, and he loves you, and he's concerned about everything happening in your life, and he's willing to give you directions and help you get through this life so that until that day comes where we are all together, he is for us. And if he is for us, there's nothing that can stand against us that will win. Amen? That's a good, that's a good word. And then it says, Hallowed be thy name, our Father which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Now, what does Hallowed mean? Hallowed means that we are declaring God, our Father, to be holy, blessed, deified, worthy of all of our praise and all of our glory. There is nothing above him. There is nothing above God deserved, deserving to be praised other than God. He is the ultimate. He is the he is the thing in this universe that is the only thing that truly is worthy to be praised. So we start off by saying, you're my father, you're in heaven, but I have a relationship with you, and now I'm going to praise your name. I praise you, Father. We should just pause for a minute and just say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for being my way to the Father. 
Thank you for forgiving me the path that I can come to the Father. See, when I can grasp that concept, when I can fully understand it to the best that my little mind can grasp, that will help us to realize the responsibility that we have to live a life that honors Him that way. If I truly understood my relationship with God the Father and truly understood how great He was and how worthy He is to be praised, then it should help me to live a life of honor. It should help me not want to sin. It should help me not want to fall away and do my own thing. I should be drawn to Him more and more because of that. A commentary about this says this, We must live in a way that is worthy of our relationship with Him. A life of holiness, moral purity, spiritual wholeness, separation from evil, and devotion to God's purposes. In this way, we will bring glory and honor and praise to the Father. We must be passionately concerned with the reputation of God, His church, and His kingdom purposes, and do nothing in our lives to bring disgrace to the Lord's name. Wow. Isn't that powerful? To think that I would live my life bringing no disgrace to God, my Father. That, I would, that when he looks down upon me, he would say, my son, I'm well pleased. Is that what you want? Or do you want God to say, oh, why did you do that? Why did you do that? You just threw mud all over me. <laughs> and how many times, how easily we can do that. How often we can walk in this world and be a hypocrite by saying we believe this and then go do that. Lord, forgive us. And here's what happens when you do that. You ask for forgiveness. And you say, Father, I'm sorry. Please, give me another chance. I'm sorry. Help me not to do that stupid thing again. And when, he, when you pray that way, and if you mean it, you know what? He helps you. He helps you. And he will keep helping you every day until we get to heaven. Because we're going to make stupid mistakes. Maybe, hopefully not every day, but throughout my life, I'm going to make stupid mistakes. And we can live a life of purity. We can live a life of moral purity. We don't have to fall down. Just so you know, you don't have to fall down. You don't have to go back to that sin. You don't have to go back to that bottle. You don't have to go back to that porn page. You don't have to go back to that anger. You don't have to go back to that slander. You don't have to go back to that backbiting, that gossip. You can stop it. You don't have to go there. But if you do... Know that our God is there to forgive you if you ask. But let's work hard. Let's truly make this an effort that we would live a life above reproach. Let's truly make this an effort of our life, an intentional way of living that we would not purposely bring disgrace to the name of God. You know, if I had relationship with an important person, I would work really, really hard that I would make that important person look good. If I had a relationship with the President of the United States, he's the most important person I can think of right now, I wouldn't want to make him look bad. You know what I'm saying? So therefore, why would I want to live to make God look bad? Good point. Amen. I'll agree with that one. Number two, that we, the second segment is that we're acknowledging that God is in control and that he is sovereign. This is where we start coming into the position of prayer and into the um, submissive posture and surrender of God's will over my will. The word says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
in earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying God's kingdom come. We're praying his kingdom come to our kingdom. And his kingdom overtake my kingdom. Now you can make this as micro as you want to. You can make this to be our country. You can make this to be our job. Or you can make this to be your life. Your kingdom, your life is a kingdom. Who is the king of your kingdom? Are you the king? Or is Christ the king? You see, I go back to when we renamed this church a few years ago to Center Point Assembly. It has nothing to do with this being the center point of the world. <laughs> it has everything to do with who is, the question is, who is the center point of my life? That's what that means. So when you say you go to Center Point Assembly, the question should be raised continuously, who is the center of my life? That's the reason we named it that way, as a question. Maybe it should be Center Point. <laughs> who is the center point? Because that's the question. Who is the, who is the king of your kingdom? Thy kingdom come. We're asking the Lord to come down and be the king of my kingdom. As we recognize God's position in heaven and his creative power and his governing rule, when I can do that, it gives me a totally different perspective of what's happening on earth and what's happening in heaven. Right now, see, we see things from a very narrow, shallow perspective. I can only see as far as I, my eyes can see, and it's not so far sometimes. You know, you've heard the old saying, you, you're, so, you, you're so close to the trees, you don't see the woods. All you see is the trees ahead of you, you don't see the big forest. You don't see the big picture, you just see what's right in front of you. And that's the way we live our life most of the time. It's not wrong, it's just what we are. It's what we're limited to. But recognize who God is. So when I say thy kingdom come, recognize what I'm praying here. Isaiah chapter 46, beginning at verse 8. It says, Remember this and keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. And then he gets really intimate here. He says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Now, that is a sovereign God. That is a God that I can trust in because I know that he's firm in what he's going to do. So that when I talk to him about kingdom life and I invite him to come down into my kingdom, I can trust him to be pretty secure in maintaining his kingdom and my kingdom. And it's going to be safe. Now, there's a major difference between the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven. What do you think that major difference is? What's the difference between the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven? On the scale of time, what's the difference? What's earth going to do? What's earth and all the riches of earth going to do? They're going to fade away. They're going to be burned up. Everything that I accomplish on this earth, if it's for me, if it's for my pleasure... All the money that I've accumulated, all the cars, all the wealth, everything that I have is going to burn up. But everything I do to build up the kingdom of God will last for what? Forever. Big difference between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of this world passes away. 
The kingdom of God stays forever and ever. So therefore, where do you want to spend your effort? If you were a, if you were a man that was going to invest, where would you invest? Would you invest your time and resources in something that's not going to be there? Or would you invest your time and resources that's going to be there forever? So why don't we do that more often? I'm just asking a question because I'm as guilty of it as anybody else. Why do I spend my time fretting and worrying about the things that are going to pass away anyways? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Father, teach me. Teach me how to pray that way. Teach me how to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, so that I can pray over my will into your will. That I truly can invite your kingdom to come down into my life and that I can let your kingdom reign and you can be the king of my life. Thy will be done. Now this is something that's difficult for westernized believers. And I'm a westernized believer just like you are. The American dream. The American dream. What is that defined as? The dictionary.com defines the American dream as a life of personal happiness and material comfort as traditionally sought by individuals in the United States. Merriam-Webster defines American dream as a happy way of living that is thought by, of by many Americans as something that can be achieved by anyone in the United States, especially by working hard and becoming successful. Cambridge Dictionary defines the American dream as the belief that everyone in the United States has the chance to be successful and happy if they work hard. And there's many other definitions. But you know, as I've read them, I've, I didn't find anywhere in any of them that had a spiritual element in it that says anything about God's will. The American dream is all about me. It's all about my pursuit of happiness, my pursuit of well-being. There wasn't one mention in any of those definitions of the American dream that had anything to do with God. What kingdom is that? What kingdom is that? What's truly unfortunate about this is that the mentality of the American dream has somehow crept into the church. It's crept into God's home it's crept into the place where God should be revered and honored above all things. And all of a sudden, the American dream has crept into the American church, and now we have church about me. We have a consumeristic mentality. What's in it for me today? What am I going to get out of church today? If I go, is it going to be worth my time to go to church? Am I going to get blessed? Is it worth my time? I could rather sleep in. I could do this other thing. I could do that. I could do all these other things. What, what's in it for me if I go to church? You see, we're not building God's kingdom when we think that way. Because in all honesty, when I think about church, when I think about coming together with brothers, it shouldn't be about what can I get from them. I should be thinking, what can I give them today? What can I do to make it better for somebody at church today? If I go there, I wonder if I'm going to have a divine appointment that I may, have to, I may get the opportunity to pray with a brother or a sister that's struggling. That's the heavenly dream, not the American dream. Let's get our mind in the right spots. If we truly want to be honoring to our Father in heaven, then we need to have a kingdom mentality. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done not mine. I don't come to church this morning to try to see what I can get. 
I come to see what I can give. How can I help you? You see, when I do it that way, then what I do is going to last. I will have reward after reward after reward when I do things for people. That's Jesus' life. Jesus was, a con- Jesus was not a consumer. He was a giver. He was a giver. From the day one to the, to, the, uh, to the day that he died, he gave everything that he had for us and for this kingdom. We're going to stop here. We're not going to be able to get any further. I was hoping to get a little bit further today, but I don't want to, I want to just end on this point because when I can truly get the fact that I am praying God's will be done, I then am in a position of receiving true blessings because I'm not worried about what I'm going to get. I'm worried about what I can give. And we serve a God that cannot be outgiven. I don't care if it's in your pocketbook or if it's in your time or in your love. You'll never outgive them. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name today. And Lord, as we are breaking down this prayer, I can only imagine the kind of conversations that Jesus had with his boys and how he made, maybe said similar things. Say, guys, listen, this is so much more than what I can write down. But let's live this together. Let's live it. And, and in fact, you just watch me. I'll show you. Follow me. Follow my example, Jesus says, and I will show you how to live this prayer. Not just recite it. Not just memorize it. But I will show you how to live it so that truly you are honoring our God, our Father. And Jesus, that's the prayer we have today, that you would help us to live this prayer. Help us, Lord, as we continue to discuss it over the next week or so, that you will just bring it alive to us and help us truly to honor you more and more and more with all of the things that you have in store for us. Father, for for those that have sinned this week or even this morning, would you please forgive us? We stand here, Father, asking you to forgive us of our sin and our trespasses. Lord, that you would renew our relationship with you, that you would make it strong and vibrant one more time, that we truly can call you Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You deserve the glory and the honor as we live.
Father, we worship you this morning. There really, truly is no one else like you. We truly worship you this morning from the bottom of our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you will continue to give us a hunger, give us a desire. Lord, just give us that faith. Give us, increase our faith to want to know more about you. Lord, that we would walk today, we would walk this week in honor and in relationship with you as our God. Our God, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer today. Help us, Lord, as we walk in it. Give us power, give us authority in the name of Jesus. Amen.